you know, what is what is your legacy as a person when yeah. you start a job and when you leave a job? What value, what impact have you had? My my legacy, the legacy that I'm trying to have is internal because my impact was on our on our team number one, yeah. uh, and our on our organization. But then our organization, based on that experience, but then was turning around and creating a wonderful experience for our customers. Right. And then our customers, because of that, were then turning around and creating a wonderful experience for our company. Welcome to The Insiders, a podcast on the latest advancements, challenges, and successes in innovation and technology. With industry leaders sharing their personal stories, we humanize the world of innovation and inspire listeners to push their boundaries and celebrate real humans shaping our collective future. Hi, and welcome to the KPMG Insiders podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lowe, head of KPMG Ignition here in Vancouver, and my guest today is Mo Asgari. Thanks so much for joining us, Mo. Thanks for having me. Good uh, to be here. It's fantastic. So uh, just to give the, the viewers and the listeners a, a little bit of a bit of a background on Mo, um, so 25 years in the technology game, senior leadership, um, led to a successful exit in one of at least one of the companies. We'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, the things that I know about Mo is his uh, passion for leadership and creating inclusive workspaces and yes. um, really creating the space for people to blossom and shine. And part of that is the things that lead to innovation and, uh, and allow people to be creative and bring their best selves to work. So looking forward to a great conversation. And what was that first foray into technology? So you mentioned that you did the comp side degree at SFU and you yeah. did a co-op and that kind of got you got you going. In terms of that those first sort of steps into entrepreneurship and leading teams and that kind of stuff, where did that where did that start to did it take flight for you? Well, I, I think really um and, and by the way, I had no idea that I was gonna be in technology. I, I wanted to and, and this is interesting because many, many, many years later, when uh, you get a certain point in your career, you start asking yourself questions is like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, I don't understand this. Where's this all going? You know, where am I in the process? And that, that slowing down forces you to do some reflection on where you came from and, and the decisions that you made uh, throughout the process. And for me, I, I knew, um, you know, I had sort of that engineering mind always yeah. Breaking things apart, putting things together. You're the kid that I, took the toaster apart. I man, I took I took my dad bought me a beautiful watch, and uh, literally within a week, I took it apart. So, but to me, um, that that uh, so that engineering mind in yeah. terms of how does it work was always there. I, we didn't have computers. Uh, I mean, I love playing video games, um, but I love to build. Um, and I think, and when I got into university and I got exposure to technology and other technology people that were building hardware and software, the software side of technology um, attracted me yeah. uh, more than the hardware side of it. Um, and that really uh, started. And then I think the whole coaching part of it was just ingrained in who I am. I mean, you can definitely go and, and and learn how to coach. You can definitely learn how to become a leader. You'll understand the attributes and, and people will talk to you how, you know, this is how you should think or this is what you should do. But I truly believe um, a lot of the great coaches and leaders that are out there, there's something in their DNA in terms of the way they think, the way they sense. Um, and this might sound goofy, the energy they, they feel yeah. uh, amongst other people and energy where they sense trouble or issues. They know what questions to ask. Uh, they know uh, facial expressions, body positions, 
all those things are slight tells that, hey, something doesn't feel right or something's moving in the right direction. And if you see those easily in your life and you have those senses around people around you, um, I think um, you either recognize it and you move or other people recognize it based on your actions and um, sort of pull you in that direction. So um, I don't know exactly when it was. Again, it was, I think I was uh, in my 40s when I, had the chance to really slow down and reflect on that whole journey where I realized, you know what, I'm a people's person. Yes, I love technology. Uh, All of that is fun. I love to build, uh, but it doesn't matter what I'm building uh, as long as I'm amongst uh, a bunch of, you know, uh, thought, you know, similar thought-minded people uh, that are exciting, diverse, and we're thinking, being creative, and trying to build or do something together. To me, that was the the exciting environment that I wanted to be in, Um, and that was really my passion. We could be digging a ditch, uh, building a building. Like, my career could have led me in in many different directions, but understanding who I was, that being the people's person and, and, you know, bringing people together, unifying that focus, um, that... That really just, I think, uh, what I sensed, and it made my life a lot easier afterwards. Right. Um, and it, there was a common thread of all the different jobs and projects was that it was about the people. Right. So. There was an interesting thing. You, you, you referenced the uh, the tell. So I know there's yes. a poker thread. We'll come back to that one <laughs> in a little bit. And I know you're working on some interesting stuff there. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that combination of uh, the engineer's mindset to be able to sort of see the playing field and think strategically about where the business needs to go to be able to translate technology to business and vice versa, and then to lead teams. That's a powerful right. combination right there. So let's roll the, the story forward a little bit into the, the the monkey media days and tell us a little bit about how what the, the genesis of that sort of right. project was. And that, I mean, that was a, an amazing run that you had. Just yeah. in, in that organization alone. Yeah, I think I think we joke it, it should have been half the amount of time and you know four times less the money. <laughs> but anyway, but hindsight's uh, twenty twenty always. You know, I I, I was introduced um, uh, to my uh, at that time business partner Earl Dardick, uh through a very good friend of mine Horatio Kemeny. Uh, who had worked with in a, in a previous project, which comes back full circle to the project that I'm working on today. Okay. Horatio had brought me in, and I met Earl, um, uh, entrepreneur, uh, truly, um, many different businesses throughout his career. And he had bought this deli, Tony's Deli in Vancouver, and realized that there was an opportunity, uh, what he called in his backdoor business, which ultimately ended up his business-to-business catering. Right. Um, and um, in Tony's Deli, Upstairs, there's a couple of uh, software, you know, web development guys that used to come down and have <laughs> Naturally, as you would find I in know, any I know, it's crazy, <laughs> right? The intersect serendipity, right? <laughs> so uh, they used to come and have, uh, have lunch, and then Earl was talking to him about the framework that he developed to optimize how he was able to uh, feed a bunch of people out of his back door, yet still managing his retail business. And through that exercise came the software uh, that was really designed for manufacturing. Um, but yes, it was web-based because internet-based software. Um, and um, and um, it, the, the software was did magic for uh, Tony's Deli, uh, allowed Earl to uh, drive high volumes, uh, communicate, uh, create uh, for, his, for his deli, for his restaurant, operational reports to create efficiency. Yep. Uh, and when he sold his Tony's Deli, because there was so much excitement around the software that he created, he decided to start the, the software company, Monkey right. Media Software. 
And I think what we realize in the process that, and, and this is important for a lot of technology companies to appreciate and understand, a lot of times it's not about the technology. The technology is just a tool. Right. Understanding the business framework um, and education side of it, maybe some consulting, um, we, we called it education, not consulting. Uh, really aligning that perspective um, became really what our focus was. So our, our mission, our mission statement had nothing to do about software, right. but how do we help restaurants make more money, grow their sales at becoming experts at where they feed uh, their guests, where they live, work, and play. Right. So it was about off-premise for restaurants. And once you align with that perspective and that business framework, then there was only one technology, one software platform in the world right. that solved it for you. Right. And that was our magic. Well, I mean, it's a great story. And for, I mean, for those of you that are, are listening, really encourage you to, to, you know, go do a little bit of, of web creeping about Mo here, because <laughs> as you watch that journey, you know, you, you go back in time. It's like, I mean, I, I've, I've saw photos of you from 10 years ago, you know, you, yes. you, you guys were kids, right? Yeah, we uh, were. <laughs> and you kind of coming, coming up together and this, you've gone, I mean, it's a very, it's a it's a it's a really uh, personal human story right. about this journey of a technology uh, you know somebody bringing a technology lens and a business lens yes. coming together and then trying to navigate these market dynamics. You mentioned um, this idea of you know, kind of the, the business context and how I mean I, I'm sure it, the the business evolved over time. How do you guys think about how you? broke down the market, how you were then tasked with creating the technology to support right. the opportunities that Earl was chasing. Are there some dynamics there you can touch on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we work very, very closely together. And and, and um, in, in our partnership, Earl um, was the idea guy. And uh, not that I didn't have my own ideas, but really he, he was more market-facing. Uh, together we were in front of customers, but he, he was a restaurateur. So the software really came and these ideas were his. Scratching uh, were his own itch, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, in a, in a previous episode, we talked about this idea of, uh, you know, the, the power of, uh, you know, scratching your own itch, of understanding intimately what a market need is and then building a solution for that. And when you do that work in a lab, quote unquote, right. you know, it's like we often talk about the business model canvas. So you've got your distribution channels and your partners and your operational structures and all that kind right. of stuff. But it's very theoretical. Yes. You guys were in the market testing and validating stuff. So tell me a little bit about the the, the experience of you know, whether it's rolling out a new feature, or trying a new market segment, how you test it and validate it and, and iterate it, right? Because yeah. the process of building technology is hopefully not waterfall where you, Correct. you know, you're just building with a 12-month deadline and unveiling the statue. So you're learning and iterating all the time. Uh, absolutely. And, and and this really all ties come back into innovate and how do you innovate. Yeah. Um, and But uh, getting in front of our customers and working with them, um, you know, I, as as you know, I recently left um, uh, that organization, and in my my, I had a little article that I wrote, and I and I specifically called out our partners and our customers, because without them, our solution would not have been the way it was. Yeah. So we were solving for their world, and that in that meant that we couldn't do that, you know, from an arm's length away in in some small city in, in the world in Vancouver, where ninety nine percent of our customers were in the U.S. We actually had to be on the road visiting the customers, visiting our partners. Uh, and, I, and I know vividly the pivot points that our company took where our software went from what it was to something exponentially better 
was the moments where we had a customer where, you know what, we were solving 85, 90% of their needs, but that 5, 10, 15%, we actually had to, to standardize. We had to productize. Right. We didn't build anything custom, but we had to productize that experience. Um, and that meant being on site with customers, going visiting their franchisees, seeing how the solution was working, and then having the, the, the structure and the team and the processes back home who were taking all that feedback and, and turning it around as quickly as possible into usable software right. where they could see their world in our world, right? And that, that was really the magic. So uh, yeah, it, listen, if you're in the B2B software business, uh, understanding your customers and being in front of them and understanding how their customers are interacting with their businesses, right. um, it becomes far, it becomes very, very important, very complex, um, but it, it can be done. Um, the, the big thing about all of that whole experience is that it, if it aligns with who you are and your passion and purpose in life and the work that you kind of love to do, it doesn't feel like work. Right. So the traveling, Yes, there was a lot of travel, but uh, we were very passionate and working very closely with our customers. So it was it was like part of who we were doing and so, what we were doing. Um, incredible journey, right? From a, a deli with a couple of software developers in the back to growing this yes. significant organization. Ultimately, that leads to an exit to a company right. named Easy Cater. Correct. Talk to me a little bit about the the way that the dynamic shifted for you. So you you guys had built something. Now you're inside a much larger organization with different cultural corporate dynamics. Yes. The innovation culture I'm guessing is going to be different. You've got yes. different um, you know different sort of uh, you know, stakeholders in play all that kind of stuff. How did that how did that shift for you? How did that change the nature of what you were doing? It it, it changed it. Um, it did it did change it. I'll be first one to tell you that it definitely changed it because you know you're going from a team of 50 people to now being part of this organization of 700 750 people. Um but we were v so lucky um, because uh, Easy Cater, uh, they're based out of Boston, and I'm not sure if people know, but from a um, you know, cultural standpoint, um, there's a lot of similarities between, there was a lot of similarities between how the team at Easy Cater were thinking about their world and how they value their team members, their right. organization, and their customers, the value and the impact that they're having in their communities and the value and impact that they wanna have in their communities to the way we thought about it and what we did. The big difference was that our solution to some extent was complementary to what their solution was. It wasn't ultimately their core business. It was an add-on to their business, an important add-on. Yeah. So the the perspective change was that we're no longer a primary, we're kind of an you know part of this larger thing, yeah. which and, and we just have to focus and do our thing to make sure we're adding value to their business. Um, you know, it could have for us, for some of us in the team, it could have been a you know three month thing. For me, luckily, I ended up being uh, at Easy Cater for close to four years, learning about their business, working with their team, doing my part and adding value. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you when you get acquired, um, yes, there's a celebration in that <laughs> process, uh, and then you always have hindsight. Twenty twenty was the timing right? Was it not right? And we can get into all of that, but the timing was right. It was uh, great for a majority of our team. And uh, for a lot of our team members that are still there, it's really the next generation of their careers right. in growing and maturing. So it was, a, it was a wonderful experience, but it was very different because they were larger. You know, we were much smaller, Canadian versus U.S. 
Thankfully, culturally, we're aligned. We had the same values and perspectives, which helped. But our solution was a much, much smaller piece of their overall business. So March of 2020, yes, the world <laughs> changes, shuts down, core to the business that you're in, yeah, right? So fundamentally, I mean, like massively disruptive for yes. everybody, but especially right. for your business. Right. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like to lead teams in this period of incredible change. It always feels like in the rear view now in ancient history, but I mean, what was that like? I, I think um, it was it was it was very interesting because I know when we were going through the process with Easy Cater, Earl Earl had the uh, question is like talking to, because Easy Cater is a marketplace. So imagine uh, like uh, you know DoorDash uh, marketplace, but they're really focused on. Uh, business catering or food for work now that as they pivoted uh, because of COVID. Um, So, you know, the question was, hey, what happens if you lose, you know, 20% or 25% of your market? And they're like, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, other volume, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was was a good conversation, but no one knew that because of COVID in a matter of uh, two weeks, literally, that um, 80% of of that business food for work a volume would disappear, right. uh, and that's exactly what happened. And huge credit to the Easy Cater leadership, um, um, where um, you know, and, and I don't want to say it was a fire drill. I think it, it was it was important for all of us to recognize. Thank goodness there was money in the bank um, to 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 make sure we can survive. But it's those times of stress when the environment. Things like that happen where truly um, uh, creative ideas and innovation come into play. And as leaders, really in those tough situations, our job is not to panic because everyone around you is looking to you for guidance uh, most of the time. And and you want and, and you might not have any of the answers, right. but you have to uh, be stable and, and be calm and then start asking questions and inquiring and together creating momentum in terms of what are the different ideas? What should we try? What should we not try? And as as we were going through that, we realized that okay, um, you know, uh, as work has changed, the concept of work has changed with people working from home. Um, now, majority they're not going into the offices, but as they're coming back, there's days that they're going to offices. How do we get food to them? Right. Not in a group setting, but on an individual uh, perspective. And then Easy Cater had some software that they were playing with uh, that they ultimately evolved and uh, really um, created this new experience, which allowed them to have a rapid comeback, uh, regain a lot of their transaction volumes. And um, and but it was it was a tough time because when you're there and as a team, everyone's kind of shell shocked. No one knows if they're going to have their job. Their yep. friends are losing their jobs. Um, and as leaders, you kind of have to create a sense of calmness, uh, be completely transparent um, um, in understanding the facts, communicating the facts, being true about your intentions, um, and, and building trust. I think the trust piece is, is super uh, important because you know, if half the people in your organization just lost a job, how do you know that it's not going to be you? Yeah. You don't know that, but there's trust in that relationship that, listen, if we work together, yes, we're a smaller team, and we put our heads together and and, and figure this out, we're going to come back out of it much stronger, weather the storm, and, and much better um, as an organization. And that's exactly what happened. And I think uh, 
focusing on the easy cater piece and how they able to pivot and innovate uh, a few different times in that time was that the, um, the organizational dynamics, they had created an environment with their culture. And, and we had done that the same again. There was a lot of similarities between the two organizations and our cultures. Um, um, they created a culture where, you know, people were first. Um, um, the environment was a, uh, you know, idea-driven, um, you know, ideas win. Uh, ideas are important, not necessarily where they came from. Yeah. Challenging those ideas. And it was a, a kind of a safe environment for people to be who they are, creating an environment where you could uh, do your best work uh, wherever and however you think is going to be most effective and it's going to allow you to add the most value. Um, that foundation um, allowed uh, us, when that stress happened, yeah. for us to be able to rally. And because we had that framework and that foundation to be able to innovate, um, but it wasn't, you know, uh, if you don't have the right people, you don't have the right environment, you don't have the right experiences, uh, the structures, um, you can have the best idea and you can go in a room for days and say, okay, let's come up with an idea. Right. It's just not going to work. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, you know, the uh, we're, we're getting close to time. So I, I, uh, there's a couple of things that I definitely want to touch on before I, I let you go. But uh, just on that topic of the culture that you created, again, for the people that are listening, I invite you to, to uh, check Mo out on LinkedIn. Uh, you can read his uh, letter uh, when once you had officially resigned from Easy Cater. First of all, uh, a lesson in terms of how to do it, mic drop moment in terms of leadership <laughs> and, uh, you know, giving thanks. It was, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely uh, gesture and, you know, and, and very well, uh, well written. But the, the, you know, the expression that your personal brand is what people say when you're not in the room, right. there's like 160 something uh, comments from people giving you your, your props. And so that to me spoke to the type of culture that you Thank had you. created when you were there, which I thought was, was really Really cool. It, it was, and I, and it wasn't. Um, it's not what I expected, to be honest with you. And you don't do the things you do um, for that kind of response. Like it wasn't, but um, and it was just my way of saying thank you to everybody for this journey. Uh, it was an experience of a lifetime, and um, uh, it, it was just a wonderful. And I just wanted to say thanks. And it was very surprising to me uh, the people that came out. It was not just previous uh, monkey uh, employees, current monkey employees, but it was people that for four years that I'd worked with at Easy Cater. Yeah. It was customers, it was partners. Um, it, it was, um, and I said, I don't, you don't do the things you do for that, but it kind of helped me slow down and say, okay, you know, what is, what is your legacy as a person when yeah. you start a job and when you leave a job, what value, what impact have you had? My, my legacy, the legacy that I'm trying to have is internal because my impact was on our, on our team, number one, yeah. uh, and our, on our organization. But then our organization based on that experience, but then was turning around and creating a wonderful experience for our customers. Right. And then our customers, because of that, were then turning around and creating a wonderful experience for our company. Right. Um, we're, we're two things that I want to touch on before we uh, before we wrap. So one is uh, I, I noticed that you're busy with some new ventures now. So one of them is in the poker space, right? Yes. <laughs> what is it about poker that uh, that kept caught your attention? You mentioned the idea of in business, the idea of tells. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's something in there um, that that's uh, that that's got Mo written all over it. Yeah, I I got um, it's actually um, it's 
you know, when you, when you change uh, a project, I'm going to call it, uh, I'm not going to call it a job. When you change a project or initiative, uh, you kind of look at different, you know, industries or other things that are coming up. You, it's, it's natural for me to go back to the restaurant industry because I've been in there for 15 years. Um, but, um, um, and my journey before Monk Media Software, if you remember, was I worked on a project, um, um, that was in the gaming industry, uh, and that couple of those same people have come back full circle, you know, uh, almost 20 years later, right. and saying there's an interesting opportunity because as regulation has changing uh, on a state-by-state state or province-by-province province perspective, the opportunity um, not to be an operator uh, of a platform, i.e., we're not going to build another poker site because the last thing that this world needs is another, um, you know, poker platform. Yeah. But um, how do we how do we empower people that are in that business with the right technology that's uh, configurable? So essentially, um, poker as a service platform. Uh, the models and the worlds are I almost identical to what we were doing 15 years ago at Monkey Media Software yeah. uh, with the restaurant industry, um, but. Uh, the conversation was there's an opportunity, right? Um, the opportunity is that because of regulation, uh, all the operators or casinos, land-based casinos, or other online casinos that are out there, because of this regulation, now they're going to want to create experiences online for their customers from a retention perspective. So right. they're not running off to other sites. Um, and can we create and innovate around that idea uh, and... and um, um, create a platform which we can then empower these operators with. So that was the genesis of the idea and we, that uh, kind of formulated. And to, to, to make it even more interesting, uh, my son is uh, graduating from university from U of A. Uh, he's actually going to be driving home in a couple weeks. And he, uh, I'm not sure if he designed it on purpose, but he's almost ran the same path in his, in his work much better than I was and am. And so he's uh, an amazing uh, software engineer, technology guy. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm saying that about my son because I'm his dad, but I'm, I'm actually putting a different hat on. Um, and I thought, we all thought it'd be, wouldn't it be interesting and fun if we actually create a new venture focused on this idea? Yeah. But then, you know, my son was part of it and, and a couple of the people that I've worked with in the past um, that we had a great experience with were also part of it. So it all comes back full circle to what I was saying earlier in terms of my passion is about the people first. Yep. And then it doesn't matter what we do. Um, that to me was the, the key piece of it. Why this idea around this poker uh, lab idea was interesting to me. I love it. Well, we're going to have to have you and your son back to break that one down <laughs> for us because it sounds like there's some really cool market dynamics there and a whole technology. Family lens. dynamics. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Last question for you. So, yeah. um, uh, you're involved with an organization called Conscious Capitalism yes. now. And uh, as I was researching that organization, it's certainly aligned to the, the ways that we like to think about the work that we do, um, thinking beyond just, you know, uh, bottom line as the main motivator, that we want to be thinking about the impact that we're having, the mm -hmm. legacy that we're creating. I'm a new dad, so for oh, me, I think about, yeah. uh, you know, I think about the type of world that I want to leave him. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that organization and your work there. It's, I mean, it's basically, um, and, and the scale of that could be something very little, to something huge where, you know, um, your organization is, um, 
uh, adding huge tremendous amount of value to the world. Um, but I think every single organization should smart start at a very, very uh, small level. It's like for us, the, the, the first group that I care deeply mostly about is, is the, the team, the, the people that are in the organization. Uh, that's, that's my number one priority. Uh, then ultimately, as, as your organization is growing and maturing, you, you consciously have to ask the questions, what value are we adding? Right. What value are we adding to our team? What value is our company, our product are adding to our customers? Organizationally, what value are we adding to the communities uh, that we live in, to the cities and the world? Uh, and again, it doesn't have to be huge. Like you don't have to say, okay, we've got to have a world changing thing. It's like the first thing could be is like, okay, every year or every four times a year, we're going to get the team together and using our energy. I always say your energy is far more valuable than your time. Right. Uh, using our energy, uh, what can we do in our communities? And if it's a fundraising effort, it's just about giving back and doing what's right um, uh, for the world that we live in. And again, the scale of that could be small or large. That to me, what's attracted me to conscious capitalism, because I think if you're, you dedicate your energy and focus on doing the right things, it doesn't mean that you're not making money. You're still in business. You're trying to make profits. You're trying to, you know, feed the organization and the pe team that's part of it. But beyond that is that let's make sure that the work that we're doing is going to have some positive side benefits. And if that's allocating some money to a charity or using that money to go as a team to go buy gifts and then create, uh, you know, donations during the holiday season, it, it, it shows itself in different colors and different shapes, but it, it really um, comes back to as an organization, we need to add value to this world, to our communities. Um, and that's that's what excited me about becoming involved in, in conscious capitalism. Um, and uh, yeah, it, again, there's multiple frameworks around it. Conscious capitalism is is one uh, structure. Uh, they've done some great movement. Uh, they're uh, inviting other leaders. People are sharing their ideas, how they're adding value to their communities and to the world. So it's a learning experience for all of us. But uh, ultimately, it starts about, you know what, let's focus on doing the right things. Let's not be silly uh, and have a negative impact on our, on our people, on our organization, but more importantly, in the communities that we live in. That's a great place to leave it. Yeah. Mo, what a story from Iran to Greece to Vancouver. Um, we're very proud to call you one of ours. Congratulations on thank all the you. success. Thank and, you. Uh, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, this has been Mark Lowe for the KPMG Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening.